offering my sincere congratulations. You're still here. <laughs> the first day may have been a little bumpy. The second day may have been a little crazy. And now it's like, what have I done? <laughs> what have I gotten myself into this time? Right? It gets real. It gets real, really real. <laughs> and there's good news. There's good news. Um, I, love, I love how Law started the talk last night. Um, with this phrase that came, to, that came to them, you're stronger than you know. You're stronger than you think you are. And it's true. And what I'd like to talk about tonight is um, a certain, certain collection of supports that accompany us on this path that we each have already, that can be developed, that can be strengthened, that can mature into powers, into real solid strengths. These are called the five spiritual faculties, sometimes called the five spiritual friends or supports. And the word that's used in the texts for them, it's a very interesting word, the word is indria. And it has several meanings. These, These five supports come in a very long list of 22 faculties. And some of them include things like the eye faculty and the ear faculty, the masculine faculty, the the feminine faculty, the life force faculty. In other words, these are innate. When you're born as a human being, you get this kit and you have a certain potential. Most human beings have eyes that work and vision, the potential for vision is there have ears, the potential for sound, for hearing is there. We also have this subset of faculties, of potentials, that are qualities of the heart. They're spiritual faculties that can be developed. So there are five of them. I'll name what they are to begin, and then, and then I'll go through them and talk about what each of them are, how they function in the practice, and how they work together on this path. So the first is confidence or trust, sometimes translated as faith. We have some sense of trust that there's something worthwhile here. When we have enough confidence, enough trust that there's something worthwhile, we, make, we, we bring forth some energy. It's like, all right, let me check this out. Let me give it a try. When there's energy, we, we start applying it, we start, we start picking something up and staying with it. All right, let's really give this a go. We're mindful. There's mindfulness. We stay with something. When we stay with something long enough, the mind begins to gather. What's, what's called samadhi develops or collectedness of the mind. When the mind is collected and we're staying with things, wisdom arises. We see clearly. When we see something clearly, we get some results and we start to have more confidence. Hey, there's something here. It really works. Confidence leads to more energy, which leads to more mindfulness. Mindfulness develops. Concentration gathers. We continue to see more clearly. And they feed each other in this way. These are no small thing. 
it's said in the texts that when the five spiritual faculties are fully matured and ripened, that they culminate in, they merge in the deathless, in the goal of the path, in complete awakening. And we have them already. They're here. They might not be fully developed. They probably aren't. But they exist as potentials. We, we have each of these already, and we're using them already every day. So the first of these spiritual supports is this quality of trust or confidence or faith, sometimes translated as aspiration. And it's that sense of possibility that, that there's something worthwhile in life, that there's a better, a truer, something wiser for us that's possible. Part of this is probably what brought you here, this, this intuition or intimation that there's something else that I could understand about being alive. There's some potential there. That's faith. That's trust. It's different from belief. Belief narrows the mind. It, it fixes on a view or an idea and closes down. This quality of confidence or trust or faith opens. It opens to possibility. It says, well, let's just see. Maybe there's something here. This quality is the beginning of, of anything, it's, it, it opens the path. Um, without it, we don't try. We don't try things. So when I was in my early 20s, I picked up the guitar. I never thought I could play the guitar. I certainly never thought I could sing. And I heard someone playing a Bob Marley song. I really liked Bob Marley. It seemed easy enough. And I was like, oh, gee, I wonder if I could do that. And sure enough, I picked up the guitar. I got a Bob Marley songbook, and I started being able to play because I had some faith. I had some confidence, some trust that maybe I could do this. And so I applied some energy, some effort, and lo and behold, things unfolded from there. When we lose faith, when we lose confidence or trust, things get pretty bleak. When there's, when there's just a little bit of a loss of it, um, Things feel boring, we get apathetic. Maybe you've had moments where you're like, why am I doing this? I'm wasting my life. This is pointless, right? We've lost touch with that aspiration. We've lost touch with that quality of confidence that, yeah, no, there's something good here. I want to give it a go. When there's no faith at all, that's when there's, there's no reason to live. We don't want to get up and go through another day because there's no sense of anything having meaning the possibility of love or, or hope or connection it just doesn't hold water for us. That's the complete loss of this quality. So it's an intense time to be alive on the planet. And anyone of us who's made it this far, we've got some faith. We've got some trust, just that it's worth going through another day, Right? So it's here, it, it's here already, and it can be developed, it can be strengthened. So in the context of this practice, we begin to trust, we begin to have confidence in the path, 
in the teachings, in the process of awakening itself, in our own capacity, in our own goodness, our own strength. Some of the most powerful gifts that I've received from my teachers have, has, has been the invitation to faith, to aspiration. Two, two of my sort of very, very deep heart teachers were, were monastics or are. One, one passed a long time ago, the other's still alive and is a monastic. And um, at different times in very different circumstances, they both asked me the same question. They said, what do you want? What's your aspiration? Such a gift to offer that question. I had a bit of a, a crisis in faith when I was uh, in the first few years of my practice. Um, I started practicing in India. I was quite fortunate. I just kind of dove right in. And I had two amazing teachers, one from Sri Lanka, one from India. And um, I was deeply, deeply moved. The first, the first Dharma talk, it was just like I was home. I just knew it was like, oh, thank you. Like, this is why everything has seemed so off and what I was waiting to hear. Like, finally, someone's speaking what intuitively has felt true for so long. And a few years later, I was back here in the States. I was sitting in a retreat, and um, one of those two teachers died very suddenly. He was in his 60s, and, and I was looking forward to going to Sri Lanka to practice with him. And it came as a real shock, a real wake-up. And I realized that the other teacher, um, who was even older, I, you know, I realized if, if I want to see this person again, i got to go, like now, because it's uncertain. And so when I was 24, I went back to India for a few months with a lot of gusto, a lot of like, you know, enlightenment or bust. I'm, you know, stay as, as, long, as, as long as it takes, you know. Um, will you be my teacher? And he was quite old at that point. And um, so he sent, me, uh, he sent me to the Goenka centers. He said, you know, you want to talk to me about a PhD, but you don't even know the alphabet. You need to like go <laughs> do some practice. Um, and I did uh, three of these intensive 10, 12-day Goenka retreats in a row and totally unraveled, really unbalanced. Um, and this was too much, too fast. And uh, I was a mess. And um, I was so unbalanced emotionally and psychologically, I felt like I, I kind of need to get out of here. You know, like something damaging <laughs> could happen. Um, and it was one of the hardest things I had to do because I knew that if I left, I wouldn't see my teacher again because he was that old. And uh, so I went to see him. Um, and first I, I went to see him and I was, I was just totally broken up. I said, you know, I just, I don't know what's happening. Nothing's working. I feel like I'm failing. He totally threw me for a loop. And he said, uh, he looked at me and he said, when I hear you say this, I'm so happy for you. <laughs> are you kidding me like my world is falling apart sound familiar and you're telling me you're happy for me he's like you must enjoy you must enjoy your suffering this is good it was a little over the top it might not might not have been the but it was a very very powerful teaching that made sense many years later at the time i had no idea what he was talking about 
But I said to him, you know, I said, um, I need to leave. I need to go. And he said, and he understood. And he said, you will take all of your suffering with you. <laughs> you know? <laughs> it was actually very compassionate. It wasn't, it, it was just, he was saying, you know, you can't run away from this. And I knew. I said, I know, I know. And um, I was a mess. I was, uh, I was so distraught. I was, I was so heartbroken to have to leave him because I really, really loved him. And um, so I said goodbye, and we were leaving, said goodbye at the door, and I was just bawling, just crying and crying. And um, he said goodbye, and I started walking out, and I'm still crying, so he started walking with me because I was in such a state. And, um, and so we're walking, and I'm walking down the little sidewalk path in front of his kuti, his hut, and then... I'm just about to turn the corner, and I, and I realize that he's going to keep walking with me as long as I'm crying, just to make sure I'm okay. And so, um, so I had to stop, and I turned to him, and I said, I, I, I touched his arm, and I said, it's okay, I'm, I'm going to be okay. And he just kind of said, oh, oh okay, turned around, went, went back in. And those first few steps were so powerful, of just recognizing that, like, I have to walk this path myself. No one's going to do it for me. No one's going to take the suffering away. And I had the confidence. I had the faith that I could, you know. I had to say goodbye. I had to tell him it was okay and walk one step at a time away into the unknown on my own. Very, very powerful. Um, the, the next few months were very difficult. Um, I felt like I had failed. I couldn't practice. Um, and I was totally sold on the teachings. So I was like, well, I'm just going to suffer for the rest of infinity being reborn again and again because I can't practice. So um, I got really depressed. It was a bad scene. Um, but um, there's a song that came out of that out of that t- period of my life. It took about two years. That came in different different portions. Part of it started on one of those first retreats, and then several months later, the second part came, and then maybe a year later, the third part came after meeting with another teacher. And um, so I wanted to I wanted to offer that to you because uh, it really speaks to this process of developing faith and and really using the rest of these uh, faculties or qualities that, that I'll be speaking about. I was inspired and encouraged by La to, to share the, the goodness of song as another expression. So. <clears throat> I don't know where I'm going I don't know where I'm from Sometimes when I feel lost I don't know where to turn for love Said I don't know where I'm going I sure don't know where I'm from Sometimes when I feel lost I don't know where to turn for love But then I stop I look around I see, I am found. It's the same old place staring me in the face. Life is right here and right now. 
The world today gets me lost and confused. The fast pace leaves me tired and bruised. This pain goes so deep. How can we heal all our wounds? And where we stop, look inside, listen, be patient and kind. A gentle heart will find its own way to open and grow with each day. Seek the truth, nothing to fear. I'd like to know about why we're here. If I can listen and I can be sincere, I got faith that things will come clear. So I relax, I settle down, I check things out. I got my feet on the ground. And this old life I feel inside, I welcome with an open mind. So we can do this. And faith is the beginning. It's the leader. It opens the path for us. That sense of trusting, having confidence in ourselves, in life, in in the path. Once we have some faith and some confidence, then we, we, we have energy. We say, all right, I'm going to give this a go. There's something worthwhile here. Let's go for it. Let's see what we can do. We all have energy. It's one of the most essential qualities on the path. It shows up again and again and again in the teachings. Here's one quote from a teaching on the five spiritual faculties. The Buddha says, And what is energy? Here, a practitioner generates desire endeavors, arouses persistence, upholds and exerts his intention, right? So this is not just a path of not doing anything and relaxing. We apply ourselves. Energy is key. but It's a very specific kind of energy. It's not the kind of energy that we're used to. So the word for this in Pali, energy is one translation, but it can also be translated as persistence, vigor, vitality. It gives you a sense of the aliveness. It's like a spring that wells up. We have so many patterns culturally around energy. Around energy is is about pushing, about striving, right? There are patterns of energy, you know, taking lots of caffeine or stimulants, going really hard and then crashing and collapsing. Many of us have that pattern set up and we see it in our practice, right? You come and you sit really, really hard for like a sitting and a half and then it's like, oh my God, I'm totally exhausted. I'm shot. I can't do this, right? The energy's not balanced. That's not the kind of energy we're talking about. That's energy from willpower. We're like stepping on the pedal, pumping. We haven't even seen if there's any gas in the tank. The kind of energy we're talking about comes from the heart. It's the energy of willingness. And it's the willingness to be here. It's the willingness to show up again and again and again. It's a very subtle kind of energy, but there's a quality of persistence to it, of continuing, of continuing to show up. There's a range of different kinds of energy that are needed in the practice at different times. The kind of energy that you needed on the first day is different than the energy you need now. 
in the course of a day, our own energy patterns shift and we have to modulate. This is some of the art of meditation, of, of really feeling into what's needed, just what's needed right now. How much energy is really needed here? It's often less than you think. When, there's, when our energy comes from willingness and from a connection with our aspiration, it's joyful. It's a joyful energy. It's an uplifting energy. It's an energy with a sense of dedication. So going back to that example of playing the guitar, it's like I wanted to pick that guitar up as often as I could because I love Bob Marley, and every time I got a chord right, it was like, yes, that sounds so cool, you know? It's that sense of the, the interest, the keenness of wanting to learn something, of wanting to learn a craft, of picking something up and keep coming back to it and really trying it. That's the kind of energy. Make a joyful effort. As we apply our energy again and again, we, we apply it with mindfulness. We apply it with that sense of staying with what's happening. So there's a sense of, um, let me pick this theme up and really, really give my full attention to it. Let me me stay with this and see how it goes, right? We each have some mindfulness. We couldn't get through a day without mindfulness. Again, this is the innate quality of this faculty, of the spiritual strength, the spiritual support. And when we lose mindfulness, I think we all have the experience of how disorienting or frustrating that can be when you can't find your keys or you get up to get something and you're, and you're in a room and you're like, wait, why did I come in here? <laughs> right? You lost mindfulness. You stopped being present. You stopped knowing what was happening in the moment. Or really scary if you drive and you, you get home or to work and you don't know how you got there right? You were just totally on automatic. It's frightening. It's amazing any of us are still alive. <laughs> Given how often we lose mindfulness, how often we're actually not present, you know? That there aren't more freak accidents. <laughs> so the word for mindfulness, and we've, we've talked about it a lot on this retreat and we'll continue talking about it because it's so core, is sati in Pali. And mindfulness means knowing what's happening. Just at the moment that it's happening. Just being right here. It also has a quality of remembering. Remembering to be here. Remembering the teachings. Remembering the instructions. Remembering what we're doing. So with mindfulness, we bear something in mind. We keep holding a certain frame of reference. The breath. Just keep feeling the breath, just this, just this. The walking, just keep being with this. We're mindful of a step. We keep remembering to stay with a step, to just keep feeling it. One of my first teachers uh, used to say, mindfulness is the only way to be free. Awakening is the goal, but it's also the means Every moment that we're mindful is a moment of freedom. It's a moment of awareness, of awakening, even if it's small. 
And so there might be ways that each of us have experienced this so far this week. If you've stayed with an experience, any experience, long enough to see it change, to see it shift, or to recognize, oh, oh gee, that, that feeling went away. It's not here anymore. Some freedom there in seeing and seeing clearly. Maybe you've had moments where something that you usually don't like or that you don't want is happening. And somehow, even though it's still there, it's okay. Like it's not that big a deal, right? You're aware of it and it's not bothering you as much. That's mindfulness. You're aware of what's happening and there's some freedom with it. So this is the power of mindfulness. There's also one of the paradoxes of this path, which is that the more mindful we are, the more aware we are, the more we start to notice when we're gone. So it might seem like I am more lost today than I was on Monday, right? Or someone said this morning, my thoughts are louder. It's like they're screaming at me. What might be happening is actually that your thoughts aren't any louder. It's that your mind is more quiet. So they seem louder. You're not lost anymore. You're actually here more. So you're noticing how often you're lost. One of the things we do with this practice is we're mindful and we try to establish a continuity of mindfulness. We stay with something. We keep being mindful. And this is how the momentum gathers into samadhi. Often translated as concentration, not the best word for it. Samadhi literally means to put together. So it's a mind that has come together that's gathered, that's collected, that's steady and stable. Just as with energy, we have associations with what it means to concentrate, and it's things like um, focusing, being really intent, struggling, trying really hard. How concentrated have you gotten this week doing that? (laughs) Right? Tends to not work, tends to just make us tight. We all have, again, this ability innately for the mind to gather in sort of colloquial um, uh, culture, it's called being in the zone, right? When, when everything comes together and you're just right there with experience and time sort of opens up, there's no sense of like time passing. You're just really, really engaged and everything's present. It's a natural sense of being fully there. It happens with sports. It happens with music. It happens with art sometimes. It can happen with physical intimacy, The mind gathers because it wants to be here, because it's engaged. So samadhi doesn't come from striving. It comes from contentment. It comes from a mind that's really happy, that's enjoying being here and wants to be here more. So think about the moments that you've had, even if they're very brief, where things have kind of come together a little bit or the mind's just settled some, it's a little bit quieter. And think about, how did that happen? Did you make that happen? Did you do something? Probably not, right? You, pro- you probably relaxed. There's probably some sense of letting go, being patient, 
staying with things, and just naturally things came together. So the process of developing samadhi, of developing a collected and gathered, gathered mind, there's sort of two basic um, tacks to it. One is simplifying, simplifying. So putting down things that aren't necessary, thoughts that aren't necessary, stories that aren't necessary, activities that aren't necessary, emotions and habits that aren't necessary. We start to see, God, I keep thinking about that stupid thing. And just for a moment, we put it down. Maybe I don't need to do that. We simplify, we simplify. So we keep simplifying. The other aspect is enjoying. How is it to just be here? How is it to just feel this breath, to just, to just be with this sensation? We simplify and enjoy and deepen and deepen into experience. The analogy that Temple used on the first night of this uh, snow globe is a great analogy for, uh, for, for concentration, for samadhi. Um, or you think of like a glass of apple juice with a lot of pulp in it, right? If you, if you want that juice to get clear and you keep stirring it and poking it to try to make all the particles get down to the bottom, it's not going to get clear, right? It's just going to keep getting stirred up. But if you just leave it, it'll settle on its own. It'll settle naturally, right? So there's a certain way energy is required, right? The energy to be here, but the energy of doing something, of trying to make something happen, of trying to focus our mind, that kind of energy tends to just stir things up. Doesn't actually help the mind gather. So this is how energy and concentration start to balance each other. So one of the ways that these, these faculties, these spiritual faculties work, is not only are they a cycle, not only are they a continuum that feed each other, but they balance each other. So mindfulness is in the middle. It's the balancing factor. It, it keeps track of what's happening, knowing where things are. Energy and concentration balance each other. If there's too much calm, if the mind gets too settled and quiet, it, it no longer becomes a suitable vehicle for this practice. It can be really steady, really still, but without enough energy, we just kind of blank out. We just sort of zone. And it can be really nice. It's, it can be a break, and there's nothing wrong with that, but we're not actually learning anything. We're not actually investigating what's happening and seeing clearly. So the energy needs to come up a little bit. We need to bring forward a little more interest and actually engage. When there's too much energy, then it's just like things just keep boiling and roiling. We get stirred up and restless. We need to simplify. We need to steady. We need to deepen to balance the energy. So the right kind of balance of energy and concentration is one that's steady, that's continual, that's nourishing and collected. And that allows us to see things clearly. When the mind gathers, when it's stable and steady, it has a lot of strength, it has a lot of power, and we can begin to see into things more clearly. And this is where wisdom comes in. So the word for wisdom, again, as Temple was, was, was referring to on the first night, is panya, panya, which shares a root with just to know. 
and in its most basic form as a faculty that we all have. It's just the ability to discern things, to just know this from that. This is a bell, that's a podium. That's a rose, that's another flower that I don't know the name of. Okay? It discerns, it knows this from that, and we can all do that. We wouldn't be able to function if we didn't have some amount of wisdom, of discernment. So the Buddha said there are four lights in the world, in this world. There's the light of the sun, the light of the moon, the light of fire, and the light of wisdom. And of the four lights, the light of wisdom is by far the most powerful and the strongest. Another story, another analogy is made about wisdom that says, even if a cave were dark for a thousand years, it only takes one moment of a candle, of a match, to dispel the darkness of a thousand years. That's the power of wisdom, of discernment, of seeing clearly. So it doesn't matter how long we've been gone, whether it's five minutes, five weeks, five years, how long we've been lost or stuck. In a single moment of awareness and clear seeing, that darkness is dispelled. Where there is light, there can be no darkness. For wisdom to arise, we need to be here. We need to have energy and mindfulness and concentration present, working together to see things clearly. So the analogy that I like to use is if you're driving somewhere and you're sitting in the passenger seat and you're talking and you're in a conversation and you get there, you might not remember how you got there. Now, if you're driving, you're in the driver's seat and you go somewhere and you're not super directionally challenged, when you get there, you'll know how you got there because you were driving. You know all the turns you make. You know the exit you took, right? So for wisdom to arise, for insight, for seeing clearly, we actually have to be here and there has to be a continuity of mindfulness and concentration. We actually have to stay with an experience long enough to see it clearly. So as these factors begin to work together, we start seeing how things work. Wisdom begins to investigate, what's going on here? What's this made of? How's this work? And we start to see the laws that are operating on a very fundamental level. We start to see what kind of actions bear what kind of results? What's helpful, what's harmful? What creates pain and entanglement for us and for others? And what starts to lead out of that knot of struggle that we get in? What leads to clarity, to spaciousness? So perhaps you've had experiences this week so far of seeing how we create struggle for ourselves. Our patterns of pushing ourselves or blaming ourselves or worrying. And maybe there's been a moment where you recognize, why am I doing that? Right? That's wisdom. You've stayed with it long enough to see clearly, wait, that's happening here. That's self-generated. I don't need to do that. That's understanding cause and effect. When I think in this way, it has this result. Why don't I stop doing that? Someone said in one of the groups, when I can actually feel the fear, it's less scary. 
That's insight. That's wisdom. That's understanding how it's working. When I try to run away from the fear, when I'm afraid of the fear, it gets worse. When I can relax and feel the fear, it's not as scary. We see how it works. So this kind of wisdom, it it arises as an intuitive understanding. It's just like, oh, something changes, something shifts in how we're seeing things. And then it often expresses itself as thought, as words. The cognitive faculty comes in and makes sense of what just happened, of what we just saw. But the understanding itself, the wisdom, is, is actually deeper. Right? When the mind is really collected and gathered, when the samadhi is strong, it becomes a very, very powerful vehicle. And beyond seeing what's happening in our, on the level of our personality and our psychology, we start to be able to see into the very nature of things themselves. We move from that relative view of the earth is flat or how things look in a conventional way, in an unexamined way, and start to see the reality more clearly of change, of process. When the mind is this strong and gathered and collected, it penetrates. It penetrates to the depth of what's possible. And this is why it's said that these five spiritual faculties merge and meet and are consummated in the deathless. When they're working together, when they're in balance, they can go that deep. And at every little step of the way, they feed each other. So when we have just a small insight, just a little bit of understanding, it feeds our confidence. It feeds our sense of trust that, hey, I can do this. Hey, there's there's something here. This stuff works a little bit. And then we apply more energy. All of these factors work in other realms also because they're innate. They're faculties that we have. So anything we want to do, these five faculties can be supports, can be help, help us. So, you know, looking at what's happening on the planet, there needs to be some trust and some confidence that we can make a difference. We have to apply energy. We have to stay with it and really look at what's happening. We have to be steady and focused in our energy. And we have to begin to see clearly what's going to help and what's not going to help, what's needed here. So all of these can help us make wiser decisions and clearer choices about our life, about the direction we're going in, about how we respond to what's happening. This, fac- this faculty of wisdom, of seeing clearly, of discernment, is balanced by faith, by trust. So when our discerning faculty gets out of balance, we start to mistake that intuitive understanding for thought, for thinking, and we get, we get stirred up into the intellect, into trying to understand things with our mind. We go off into thinking and analyzing. Thought has a role. It has a role in our life. It's, it's a useful tool. It has a role in practice, but its role is limited. We need to understand its role understand its limits and use it skillfully. 
Use it just enough to stay connected to what's happening. This is an in-breath. This is an out-breath. This is a taste. This is a sound. That's about as much thought as is needed. When they're challenging stories, sometimes thought is useful to get engaged, involved in those, and start to take those apart. But we're not going to solve the problem by thinking. If you could have figured it out, you would have done it by now. Right? We've, we've all been on the planet, most of us at least two decades, three. Right? We would have figured it out by now. Thought's not going to do it. To step outside of thought, you need trust. You need faith to have faith in our direct experience, to drop below the stories and the thoughts, to move outside of that world of what's going to happen and why is this happening and who am I and uh, what, what, what will I become? How will I be? Am I going to be okay? What's going to happen? All of that, to, to put that down requires trust, confidence in our direct experience in just being here. This is when faith begins to mature into conviction, into, into a firm kind of confidence that we don't need a lot of thinking because we know directly. We feel things. We experience it directly. Is there any doubt when you are experiencing an in-breath? There's nothing you need to think about. It's very clear. Just breathing in, it feels like this. Is there any doubt when you're mindfully present with a step? Is there any thought necessary? It's just this experience. You can trust it. You can come back to it. So as we practice more, our trust in the very experience we're happening right now grows. We trust in this moment and just how things are unfolding, just what's happening now. We keep coming back. We keep trusting and coming back to just what's happening now. We, keep, we trust in awareness itself, that it's enough to just know, to just stay with this, to just keep listening, to just keep listening. Could that be enough? That just to be here, is to be present with this life. That there's something worthwhile. That there's something that can open. That there's something deeper than our thoughts available. And that just to know things as they are is enough. We don't have to have it all figured out. We don't have to have it all together. In fact, no one really does. And the good news is it's not where it's at. Certainty isn't where it's at. Where it's at is being with the process of life. Where it's at is not knowing, because that's what's real. As soon as we think we know something, we've shut down. We're not actually alive and awake. We're living in an idea. But it takes tremendous confidence, tremendous faith to trust not knowing, to trust just what's happening now. Rather than trying to figure it out, rather than trying to make sense of it, rather than trying to 
wonder what's going to happen or, or make things go in a certain way to make sure we're going to be okay or trying to figure out what it means or why it's here or how we got here. So instead, we use the spiritual faculties, we use this path to just meet our experience, to keep trusting, to keep listening, to keep coming back just to what's happening right now with energy, with mindfulness, the mind coming together, looking closely. What is this? How is this? When these faculties start to come together and work together, is when the process of transformation and awakening really, really begins to take off. It really starts to take root. And our confidence begins to grow, not just in this moment, not just that there's something worthwhile about being alive, but that there's something worthwhile about being with what's difficult, about the hard bits of life. That rather than just trying to get away from them or make them better or fix them, that there could be something actually meaningful and liberating from being with them, from learning from them, from just meeting them as they are and allowing them to teach us, to open us. We start to really understand and get that everyone experiences hardship and uncertainty and pain and struggle and loss and difficulty And that if we're lucky enough, we meet people in our lives who instead of crumpling, instead of collapsing in the face of those those kinds of challenges, instead of becoming bitter under the weight of them, that they rise up. That they're able to turn it around, to use it to wake up, to become stronger, to bring light into the world. And we see that and something inside us trembles. We say, yes, that's it. I want that. That's here too. That's available for me. And our, our trust grows, our faith grows. We see that it's, it's possible not to be broken by the things that happen in life, to not be damaged by it, but that those places themselves are where we awaken. It's right in the midst of our confusion, of our hurt, of our pain and our difficulty. It's here. It's in the present. That's where we wake up. That's where we become free. It's not somewhere else. So we keep trusting. We keep coming back just to what's happening right now. We keep listening. How is this? What is this? We start with the trust that there's something worthwhile, that there might be something here. We get keen, we get interested, we bring forth some energy, some willingness to keep being here, to keep showing up, to keep noticing what happens. And the more we do that, the mind comes together. It starts to gather. And when it gathers, when we're present, when we're engaged, we see clearly. And we see clearly wisdom opens and the heart lets go it can be released so we're each born with these with faith with trust 
with energy, with vigor, with mindfulness, with the, with the potential for the mind to gather, with the ability to discern things. And every day, every moment, you've been strengthening those, you've been cultivating them. So use them as supports. Know that you have these friends with you on this path. Keep trusting, keep coming back just to what's happening now, keep listening. So let's just sit quietly together for a few moments. Keep trusting, keep listening, keep coming back just to what's happening right now. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.